going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour workweek with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, The 40-Hour Workweek, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. Coach, are you feeling like your teachers are just not interested in your support? Have you struggled to get into classrooms and impact positive change? Do your teachers turn the other way when they see you coming and put you off over and over again when you offer to visit their classrooms? So many coaches face these problems and they all revolve around one thing, the culture of coaching. If your school doesn't have a coaching culture, it can feel like you're bending over backwards to please everyone while actually accomplishing nothing. This summer, my favorite annual event, the Simply Coaching Summit, is all about building a coaching culture at your school. This online conference for instructional coaches is on July 11th, 12th, and 13th, and it will give you everything you need to change your school one step at a time. The summit is three days of keynotes, live workshops, pre-recorded sessions, and live meetups. I'm giving a keynote about how getting curious can change the culture of your school, but there is so much more to the summit that you have to see it for yourself. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com summit to save your spot. The best part is that you have six months to watch the videos. So if your summer plans didn't include some cozy PD at home on the couch, you can watch them when you're back to school. See you at the summit 2022. You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey coaches, and welcome to episode 100 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. I cannot believe that since February of 2019, I have put out 100 episodes of this podcast into the world, counting this one, of course. I really wanted to imitate the sound of one of those little party blowers right here, <laughs> but I practiced it and it just sounds like, Woo! so that was maybe my best plan. I mean, they're like a dollar. I guess I could have bought one, but <laughs> to help me with this very special episode, I invited my friend, Laura, and we go way back. I've actually known Laura longer than I've known my husband. <laughs> she was my student teacher back in the day, but before that, I actually taught her son in fourth grade. Laura was in my wedding and she has been my friend for years, so I figured she'd be a great pick to help me turn the tables in this episode. I told her she could ask whatever she wants and, you know, saddle up because <laughs> asking interesting questions is one of Laura's favorite things, so I'm really not sure what to expect today. Um, but we're also going to ask some of the questions that you, people like you, coaches, have sent in. So um, I cannot wait to see how this goes. <laughs> 
So welcome, Laura, to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Yay. Hello, Chrissy. Hey. Um, Thank you I so already... much for asking me to do this. I really oh. have been looking forward to this. Oh, good. Yeah, I love to because, um, well, I already gave a little introduction, a little bit about who you are, but I just thought that you would be a really good fit um, because I think that's one of your special skills is asking questions and um, listening <laughs> to the answers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so I already gave a little introduction about you. You know, I mentioned that you were my student teacher, all those things, but um, I don't know if you want to introduce yourself a little bit before we get started with any kind of questions. Okay, sure. My name's Laura. Uh, Chrissy is one of my dearest, closest friends in the world. Um, I'm a special education teacher here in Maryland. It's been craziness. I mean, it's just normally crazy, but the crazy amped up during COVID. So I'm sure everyone can relate to that. Uh, but I'm so excited to be here and get to ask you all kinds of different questions. Yeah. So we can get to know you better. Yay. Oh, my goodness. I wonder how much better. <laughs> we shall see. We're going to know every detail of your life oh by the my. end. <laughs> I told you, everybody, buckle up. because. <laughs> All right. So do you have, you, you want to start with a question? Do you have a first question? Yes. Um, okay. So first, I'm going to tell you how I came about these questions. Okay. Uh, I did like I normally do, go to Pinterest and search things. <laughs> like we all um, do, yes. So I searched for great questions to ask educators. And this is what popped up. Uh, 100 would you rather questions, which, okay. All right. Uh, the second one was how to make your man think about you all the time. Not oh. sure how that came into great questions for educators. And, and finally, think about uh, that every day, I guess. That's what <laughs> I know. Okay. What else do we think about? <laughs> the buyer's guide to good psychotherapy. So that one, I felt like they were kind of onto something. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I hope that you selected several of those because <laughs> I feel like that's the best way to really get into the psyche, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes, of course. So I actually did choose a couple of the would you rather questions just because they're fun and good okay. icebreakers. Sounds good. All right. Chrissy, would you rather eat donuts or candy? I would almost always rather eat donuts. Okay. Because I yeah. really like it. You are correct. It. Okay, good. I actually answered that question and I waited as if you were going <laughs> to tell me if that was right or not. I just, baked goods are always going to be better than a prepackaged item, in my opinion. Um so that's, I would always go for donuts, but I mean, if candy is available, I also enjoy candy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Great. Would you rather be the funniest person alive or the smartest person alive? And I knew this I, one was going to be tough for you. It is tough, but I, my instinct is to stay funniest because I feel like smartest person alive doesn't it's not always great to be the smartest person in the room. <laughs> no, um, it is not. <laughs> no, having been the smartest person not that in the room. I have room, experience with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not always, being the smartest is not always the best way to get anything done. There are probably smartest people out there already who can tell us how to solve all our problems. And we're like, no, we're not going to do that because we don't want to hear it because they're like, right. mm -hmm, they always have the answers. So funny maybe would be more effective. I don't. I mean, as long as I'm not the funniest person and the dumbest person at the same time, 
that would be fine. No, that was not part of the choice. Okay, good. Yeah. Funny, Funny or smart. Yeah, that works. <laughs> and the last would you rather question, would you rather have a magic carpet that flies or your own personal robot? Robot for sure. Yeah. What would the robot do? I've, I mean, I already have a robot vacuum, so that's already a good step in the right <laughs> direction. Okay. I highly <laughs> recommend them. Um, but if I could get one that would also like mop a little bit, like clean up spills, and then I know they have those, but they're not like, they're not like a robot that would do whatever you want. It's just, just that. And then if I could get one, like if they would just do, if it was like a robot housekeeper, like Rosie on the yes. desk, if I yes. could have a Rosie, yes, let's, I would, that would be awesome. Yes, me as well. Order me yeah. up a Rosie. Yeah. Whenever those become available, smartest person alive. When you invent the Rosie, we will take one. <laughs> I also need her to be able to laminate and cut things out because that oh. would save hours. So it would be like housekeeper slash teacher's aid. Yes. Ideally, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's a robot. They don't care what their job title is. Yeah, they really don't. Okay. What are your favorite podcasts? That's a good question because I do listen to a lot of podcasts. And what I, what I tend to do is I listen to audiobooks, And then whenever I run out of money, I listen to podcasts until I have some money again. And then I listen to audiobooks <laughs> again. Um, so <laughs> I go back and forth a lot. So right now, the ones that I'm currently listening to, are they're, they're, they're very varied. I love Ology. The oh, I know podcast. that one. I like that one too. It is so great. It's so interesting because um, the host, Allie Ward, uh, she actually talks to a different ologist in every episode. So an ologist is like, you know, like a marine biologist or, I mean, that one's a pretty obvious one, but they're really rare things that we never really hear about. Um, people that study all kinds <laughs> of interesting things. And so I love that podcast because you learn things that you didn't even know you would care about. And it's just fascinating. She, does, yes. she says all the time, ask smart people, dumb questions. And I love that. So yeah. that's a good one. Ologies is Those great. Are really good. She does yeah. one about trees that I love. That one was really good. Yeah. I think I mean, the one that I remember the most is one of the ones that I listened to first, which was about ants, I think. And I learned about, or maybe it's about fungus, but the fungus that grows through the ant's head. I don't know if you Wow, I have not listened to that episode yet. You, you gotta Google it. It's like you see a video, like it's like um, it takes over the ants' nervous system, and it like makes them walk up to like the top of a tree or something, and then it like grows a fun stump out of their head. I don't. It's really strange stuff. <laughs> it sounds depressing. It was a little bit sad to think about, um, but it's it is pretty fascinating. So that's a good one to look into for sure. All right, I definitely have to look up that one. Yeah. I also really like um, Gold Digger is a podcast that I listen to that's more for like business owners. And that's okay. with Jenna Kutcher. And I've been listening to her for several years. And she just talks about, you know, online stuff, you know, that's helpful, how to communicate with people, how to run your business, stuff like that. So I like that one. And then um, we listen to, oh, there's another one called, what is it called? Let me see. It's called the Science of Reading podcast. Um, and that one is helpful because it's got a lot of information about, you know, the science of reading, what goes into how people's brains learn to read and write. And so that's a really good um, podcast to listen nice. to. Kind of really more about that. Yeah, it's really good. And a new one that I've added for any Catholics out there. Um, this is uh, <laughs> the Bible in a year with Father Mike Schmitz. 
And so I like that they're short. And so he does um, a Bible reading every day and then he adds his own commentary, but they're really short. I actually really like long podcasts. Like I love them when they go like over an hour. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite. Um, Cause then it's basically like a book, but he does. They're, these are really short. So I do. I like that. And then I, you know, my favorite podcasts of all time come from these two guys who call themselves bald move and bald move. Um, are these, they're two friends that grew up together and then they got older and they kind of like changed their perspective on the world, learned a lot of stuff. And they basically reviewed TV and movies and they oh, had, fun. are you saying bald, like B-A-L-D? Yes. yes. Okay. And supposedly, I don't know. The story is that whenever they were kids, they would play chess, I think. And they were, um, uh, Picard fans from Star Trek. And so then whenever one of them would do something really clever, the other one would say, that's a bald move. Like, cause he was bald. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so then that's how they named their business. <laughs> and, um, I really love the way they, they're just, they're just great. They sound like great people and they're funny, super clever. And they tell you so much back, like all the information that goes into like cinematography and, and the way scripts are written and how showrunners work in shows. Oh, wow. so whenever, they're great. So I really, any really great, like modern golden age of TV show that you're watching, they may have done a whole series on it and they review every single episode. And so I've, I was, I've been listening to them for years with game of Thrones. Um, I followed them really closely. They did every season. They had to go back and do the first couple seasons after they got started. Um, they did Mad Men. They did Breaking Bad. Um, they've wow. done tons of, yeah, tons of shows, really good stuff. And then they also do bald movies. So they, re- <laughs> they review movies too, which is fun. Um, so yeah, check them out. If you love pop culture, um, they're really interesting. Great people. Very just, nice. They seem like great people too. I follow them online. They just seem like really cool guys. So that's my favorite, like personal stuff. Nice. I wanted to tell you what about one that I just heard of a couple days ago and I thought of you right away. It's called Fly on the Wall. Okay. It is with Dana Carvey and David Spade. Oh my God. And they have on, like each episode is a different cast from SNL. Like there's a Tina Fey one. There's uh, just all of the different, um, I think it's also hosts, but they talk about their favorite skits and their favorite episodes and all the backstories that happened, what, what, what went on behind the scenes. And oh, I thought, neat. I thought you would like that one too. That would be fun. And they're so funny. David yeah. Spade is hilarious. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He's so ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, Faye, can't go wrong. Yeah. That sounds great. I'm going to check. I wrote it down on a sticky note and I'm sticking it on. And of phone. course my all time favorite, we can do hard things with Glennon Doyle. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. I have one. listened to a few episodes of that one for sure. That's a great one. Yeah, I love that one. Okay, your next question is, do you have a mantra or a positive affirmation that you use with yourself or with your teachers or listeners, students when you were a classroom teacher? So the short answer is not that I know of. <laughs> I to think maybe there is something that I say a lot that I don't realize, you know, because I don't, I, and I've talked about this before. I'm not big on like I'm positive. Like I need a, a pillow that says live, love, laugh, or whatever they say. Like, I just don't so like, you're not like me. Establish, <laughs> <laughs> I think, right. We are, we're, we're complimentary in a lot of things. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there. I do know that 
<laughs> the positive thing. But one of the things that I have taught myself over time is I tell myself, just shut up. <laughs> okay. First, I'm going to explain what a positive affirmation is. go back and redo this one um but <laughs> i do and it's because it actually helps me be better if that makes sense okay because i have a way of over explaining things i mean hence the podcast right i i can be overly <laughs> critical or i can like sometimes i just need to shut up and listen so that helps me to me that it doesn't sound like a positive mantra but it is something i can do to be better so i do tell myself okay. just shut up so i don't know i know that's not the same thing um, but, but okay, listeners, that, you heard it here. Just shut up. <laughs> Didn't you know that's a tagline for this podcast? <laughs> so, <laughs> if I think about the thing that I've talked about with teachers over and over again, is I frequently say we can figure things out together because that's I don't want to. Yeah, I use that one a lot because I don't have all the answers. They don't have all the answers and we don't always know what the best perfect way is, but we can exactly. figure things out together. We can, things can get better if we figure them out together. So we, I say that a lot with teachers um, <clears throat> and with students, and, and it probably would be different now, um, but you know, with kids, I used to focus, I mean, not that this is a bad thing to do, but now I might have different language for it now that it's more of a pos like a popular thing, but right. I, you know, I used to focus a lot on growth mindset without knowing that's what it was. Yes. And so we used to say a lot, you know, things will get better. We have to keep practicing. Things will get better. We can get better at this. We don't right. have, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. We will get better. If we keep practicing, if we keep working hard, you can get better at this you know? Right. And I mean, now there's all kinds of great, easy, simple language that people use. But at the time, we just used to talk a lot about how things get easier when you do them every day, they become a habit when you do them every day, things are not as hard as the first time you do them. You know, if right. we get, you can get better at things, if we keep working hard. And, um, <clears throat> and so that's, I guess that's kind of, you know, I did use a lot of positive talk with kids. And to me, it was really just honest and realistic rather than positive, mm -hmm. you know, because I think that there is a lot of issue with that toxic positivity where we pretend that things are yes. fine. Like kids There's definitely really, a line there. Yes. Yeah. And so there are kids who struggle with certain like kids with dyslexia, for example, where we can't pretend like they're just going to wake up and suddenly everything's going to be easy and okay. Yes. Um, but we can certainly say, you know, everybody's going to get what they need in here and if you do your best, I will do my best and you will get better at this, you yes. know? So that's, that's kind of, that's how I would talk to kids um, as far as that kind of thing goes. And, um, and, and, you know, honestly, teachers too, <laughs> there's, yeah. no, there's, there's nobody's perfect at any of this, but if we keep practicing, it will get easier. I love that. I love that. Better than just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I like both, honestly, <laughs> they're both good. <laughs> like really practical. Yeah. I know a lot of the times with my students, I make them say, put yet at the ends of their yes. sentences. Like, I don't know this yet. Yes. But, you know, before we start anything, we take a deep breath. We say out loud, I'm smart. I got this. I can do hard things. Thank mm -hmm. you, Glennon Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what with, with, um, well, with Annie, for example, I've been, now we talked about the power of yet is a big deal. You know, we, you know, mm -hmm. you see it in, in 
resources and blog posts and books. And so we talk about that a lot. She'll say, I don't know how to do this. And I'll say, yes, but you know, things can get better. We're just going to keep trying. Right. Awesome. (laughs) Okay. So my next question is, you're going to have to think back on this one, but as a mom, not really. You were a classroom teacher for many years. I was with you for one of them, which was amazing. Uh, especially in uh, related to today and COVID and our poor students are getting flip-flop back and forth from virtual to back to in-person. And it is classroom management, I think it's fair to say, is a huge struggle for a lot of teachers right now and students. So what was your, what are some of your best classroom management tips? You know, as you were saying that, I was thinking about I saw this in a video the other day about parenting. Um, and I, as I watched the video, I thought, well, yeah, that's something that I used to tell teachers all the time about students and how I tried to work with my students over, you know, once I learned <laughs> what worked and what didn't. And yeah. it's that you can't expect them to know if you haven't taught them first. So sometimes we expect kids to know stuff because you would think, it's normal to know certain things, but it's not necessarily. They don't know how things should be done if you haven't showed them. So in, in thinking about how that relates to transitioning from virtual to in-person and back and forth and back and forth, if we haven't taught them explicitly and said, you know, this year is going to be kind of a wacky year and we're going to be going back and forth sometimes and there's not anything we can do about it. So when we do, this is what this procedure is going to look like. And explicitly showing them even just for that very specific transition. Um, I know your question was more broad than that, but even just showing in that one thing, this is what we, Hey, you were virtual yesterday. Here's how we're moving into in-person learning today. This is what this is going to look like. This is your special assignment that you do. This is how we transition that assignment you were working on in person. Now we're going virtual. What does that look like? You know, this is a long-term thing that we've been working on. We're how does, what, what happens when we move back and forth? Just making things yeah. really clear and upfront and like transparent to kids, I feel like is so important. And they often don't get that benefit. Nobody tells them. Right. They're kind of along for the ride. Exactly. And, I think that's so important that you acknowledge to them, like, this is weird. Where yeah. Nobody's used to this. But I know so many teachers are like schools in general. We're just supposed to act like nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. We're, yeah, we're just supposed to do our job. Yeah, we're supposed to do our job like normal in the most abnormal of times. And yeah. it's insane to think that that's possible. Exactly. Yeah, teachers are struggling with it too. And administrators are doing the same thing that I just said teachers sometimes do to kids where they just expect everybody's going to go along for the ride and nobody has yep. to have any issues with it, you know. So I think that talking to kids like they're people is important yes. <laughs> and, and recognizing, yes. you know, that they are people that need to have these dial- this dialogue and explicitly teaching them how you want them to do literally everything. If you want it done a certain way, you have to show them how to do it, no matter what it is. And that can be frustrating because you're like, oh, give me a break. They're, they're in sixth grade. They're in eighth grade. Right. It doesn't matter. You're their, you're their teacher right now. And you were not their teacher in pre-K and in kinder right. and in first grade. You're not looping with these children where they already know how things work you're starting over, they're starting over with you and everybody expects different things. And so if you don't show them how you want things done, they're not going to know how to do it. And that's everything, communicating, raising hands or not raising hands, how to have a discussion, how to share materials, whatever it is, any classroom management issues you're having explicitly teach what that should look like. And then you can hold them accountable for it after that. 
Right. But you can't do that from the start. No. Well, that's another thing is. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, and you've worked with, you know, a lot of diverse kids, like kids who have very different mm -hmm. needs. And so I think that thinking about that as well, a one size fits all, you know, approach isn't, isn't going to work. Um, and that's, that makes it harder for the teacher. Sure it does. Uh, but that's reality. And so we have to look at our kids and say, okay, this was my management plan that I came up with, but what does this kid need to be successful? And right. So some, and people used to tell me, well, what if the kids say, well, why does he get this? Or why does he so-and-so get that? And so I used to tell my kids very frequently, everybody gets what they need in here. So I need glasses. You don't, you're not wearing glasses today, right? Even though I need them. <laughs> right. <laughs> because that's not going to help you. There's no benefit to you wearing glasses. You don't need them. It's actually going to hinder you, right? right. Um, you know, so-and-so needs whatever tool to write because they, they're, they're fine motor, whatever it is, you know, whatever issues they have. Everybody doesn't need the same thing. So everybody gets what they need. If you need something, I'm going to figure out what it is and get it to you. And so it, you differentiate through everything because everybody needs different things. And you tell kids, hey, everybody needs different things. So why are you saying that you want what he has? You get what you need. He gets what he needs. Right. Okay. That's going to segue really nicely. I probably should have asked this question first. Oh. <laughs> um, because we know social, emotional, mental health is so key for our students, for ourselves right now more than ever. Um, what are some of your tips for connecting with students mm -hmm. and teachers? Yeah, that's and a good are, question. Is there, any, is there any overlap between the two? Yeah. Because yeah, like true. you were saying, we all are people. Talk to them like they're people. So that mm -hmm. always helps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's true. Um, yeah, sometimes we forget teachers are people first and kids are people first as well, and that we are also people first. Um, and I actually recorded some episodes that uh, came out in February about this, the, some of these topics about um, teacher retention, about um, SEL for kids and adults, about um, feelings that, you know, coaches have and how we can deal with them. So all those are in February. It's like episodes 88, 89, 90, 91. So if you haven't listened to those, I recommend going back and checking those out because I could give you some ideas in this area. Um, but I think that, well, even just the fact that you asked about connecting with kids and teachers is important because sometimes it can be like, well, what's the connect? You know, we just need to put the information out there and they need to do it. You know, um, like I know some high school teachers who would say, I, that's, that's not my job is not to make them learn. I just tell them what they need to know, you know. And that's not and I'm just I'm not trying to shame high school. I'm just saying that's happened to be where these people were. And that's not really, nobody's learning like that. Right. <laughs> no, nobody's learning anything. Um, so I think that some of the biggest things that you need to do or that we all need to do, and we can all get better at this. Um, first, we have to be like an authentic, real person. And you don't bring your whole self to work. We all know that we're different in different situations. I'm, I'm one way, maybe whenever I'm hanging out over the holidays with my brothers and my mom at home, and I might be different at a party for one of the kids that Annie knows, you know, at the birthday right. party or, I'm, you know, you're different in different places, but you still have to be whoever you are at work, right? So you take yourself to work and then sometimes we, we cultivate what parts we want to take to work, but we don't want to cultivate the personality out of that. You right. have to have a personality and you have to be interesting and you have to be sincere. And um, both kids and adults need that. They need to see that you're a real person and not a machine. And they need to be interested in getting to know you. And they need to believe that you are interested in getting to know them. Absolutely. So sometimes that's trickier with adults than with kids, in my opinion, because 
Um, well, you know, with adults, sometimes it's like, wow, this one's kind of a hard nut to crack. Yeah. <laughs> and you really have to keep coming back every day um, and starting over a little bit, um, just like you would with a kid, but it's harder to do with an adult. Honestly, it just is for many of yeah. us. We don't have the patience that we do with children um, for whatever, for lots of reasons. <clears throat> so in that vein, I think it's really important to give people chances and remember that if we judged, if someone else judged us by what we did on our worst day, we would, nobody would want to be around us either. Yeah. No matter how great you are, you're going to have a worst day and it's not going to be who you really are. And so sometimes I have to tell myself, maybe that was their worst day. That is, that doesn't mean that's who they always are. But that could have been who they were on that worst day. And who knows why they were that way. And that doesn't mean they're always going to be this way. And so some people call it giving the benefit of the doubt. But I need a little more meat to my yeah. you know, explanation to myself to gear myself up to engage with people who have maybe burned me in the past. So I have to think maybe that was their worst day. That doesn't mean that they're this kind of a person, you know. And then the other thing that I do that specifically to deal with adults that um, – that helps me kind of put myself in a position to connect with somebody that maybe is pushing me away, uh, especially yeah. as a coach, is I give them a backstory. And I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't know if I've told you about that, Laura, where I think, well, why could they be this way? And it, it does, it's probably not ideal because it kind of, I'm assuming they are making things up actually. Um, about people, but it helps me to be more compassionate until I actually uncover who they really are. Right. So if they're super hard to be around and maybe negative, sometimes I think, okay, why could they be this way? How, how could this have happened? And then I make up a little backstory about why they might be not very nice. <laughs> that whole that whole thing about with students too. Some some students yes. that need the most love show it in the most unloving right. way. And we just have to meet them where they're at. And it's so, I love what you're saying because it just, it shows how much relationships matter. Like you, you probably, we can't, we can't be good teachers without having good relationships with our students yeah. or you coaching adults. You have, there has to be a relationship there. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I, I really feel like we have to make those relationships based on safety. Like that we want our kids, you want your teachers to feel safe and heard and loved because we can't expect these kids to do work or to learn what we're trying to teach them when they're not engaged in any way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that learning relational. I mean, there's a reason that babies learn to speak by looking at people and not by listening to you know, we're watching right. the iPad, right? It's because of people and they make the connection with the person and then the learning happens because the person matters to them. So if you don't, you know, give your baby hugs and kisses and you don't talk to them, they don't, they don't learn anything. <laughs> you know, it's terrible, right. but it's true. And um, that's the same thing on a different scale with adults and with kids, you know, older kids. Yeah. So, and it doesn't mean you have to be besties. You know, with teachers, you don't, you do not have to be best friends. You're not going to go out and no. get drinks every Friday with every teacher you ever work with. I mean, it's not going to happen. Um, but you don't. Well, that I tried. <laughs> <laughs> you can cut that out. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but, uh, but that doesn't have to happen. You know, you don't have to go get, you know, drink, I don't know how many martinis and have, um, avocado egg rolls. Avocado egg rolls. <laughs> Our favorite thing that we haven't done in years because we live across the country from each other. I know. <laughs> um, but it doesn't mean you have to do that with everybody in order to have a coaching relationship or a teaching relationship. You just have to show that they are a person that you value them and that you want what's good for them you believe that they can, can grow and that you are trying to grow as well. And like you mentioned, listening, you have to listen. Um, and that can be hard because everybody's busy and it's hectic. And sometimes what teachers are saying, you do not want to hear because it's mm-hmm. so many complaints. And so we have to listen through to what they're really trying to say with the complaints, just like the kids behavior, the right. kids were showing that, that behavior, those negative behaviors that you're like, Oh my gosh, this is wearing me out. I'm exhausted. We have to dig through it for the, what they're really trying to communicate to you. And, and that's when we have to go back to the positive affirmation of just shut up. Yeah. You're so right. We do. <laughs> it's so hard to just shut up. I don't know why it's so hard, but it's even in dealing with my four-year-old. Sometimes they have to tell me, just shut up. You don't have to say anything to that. That thing she just said that is driving. But I you want you so, so badly. Yeah, exactly. I want, it just wants to come out. Right. But sometimes the best answer is not the answer you come up with first. <laughs> Actually, yeah. usually in those situations, it's not. And so <laughs> just shutting up, even just for a few seconds, gives you the opportunity to come up with a better response or to ask a question and kind of get curious about the person and want to know more so that you can really get to know who they are and understand the motivations behind the actions and the words. And that that's really those are my best tips. Um, they're all based on having dealt with some very difficult individuals. And that's how I have survived through those relationships. Well, that's when you learn the most, for sure. And sure, it's, it challenges you to figure something out that's different. Yeah. Okay. Something we always talk about, I think, every single time we have a conversation, books. Yes. So what is what are your favorite kids' books? Books mm-hmm. for teachers, books for coaches, and your own personal favorites. Okay. So, okay. So I'll start. You said kids, teachers, coaches, and my favorites. Yes. So I'll do my best. <laughs> so <laughs> go. My, my, kids, my kids' books that I love. I love Cynthia Ryland as an author. Um, I yes. did not know she had this cute little book. I think called The Little Penguins or something. This, it's a book that came out only a few years ago. And uh, gorgeous. It's illustrated by, oh my golly, what is his name? Um, oh, I just saw it. I just saw one of her books in a little bookstore in Shepherdstown oh. yesterday. And I meant I was going to take a picture and send it to you, and I didn't. I got distracted by more books. Um, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> what? Who is the illustrator? Because the pictures are beautiful. Is it Christopher. Um, gosh, he does the cut paper. Uh, oh my golly, I have, I'm looking it up. Christian um, Robinson. Christian Robinson has is a very current children's illustrator. Does beautiful illustrations, and this Little Penguins book is so cute. And it's um, the illustrations are like the cut paper, cut and painted, kind of like um, Eric Carl did the cut. I think. Oh it's yeah, yeah, style. nice. So I love that. Um, so Cynthia Ryland, I love because the writing is beautiful. It's a good model yeah. for lots of things uh, in teaching writing. 
And um, so I, I love Cynthia Ryland books. I love Martin Jenkins as an author. He wrote like Chameleons Are Cool. He wrote The Emperor's Egg because he does this really beautiful like literary nonfiction. And so, nice. yeah, the, it's they're really good books. Non, the nonfiction is told in an engaging way. So it's, I mean, kids just soak in the information and the writing style is great. So it's a good model for writing nonfiction or expository informational, any of that. So I, I love Martin Jenkins. Um, and then, you know, with my, with our daughter, my daughter, we've been starting to move into, uh, I'm looking up chapter books and we read, um, Mercy Jen- Mercy Watson the other day, which was, you know, also, nice. um, what's her face? Because of when Dixie, I feel like she would uh, like Minnie and Moo. I haven't read those. She's got a good sense of humor and just the name alone tells me that would be probably right up her alley. Those are pretty cute. I feel like okay. she would think those are funny. Okay. I'll check it out. There's a few other ones that were recommended to us um, that I want to look into. So those are some of my favorite kids books. Like if I were building a library to use to teach students, that's what I would, that's what I would start with those titles um, for sure. My books that I recommend to teachers. Oh golly. um, They're varied and it kind of depends on what I'm trying to accomplish, but I did love. So um, I went through the West Texas writing Institute years ago and it made the biggest impact on me that any professional development or learning opportunity as a teacher has ever made on me and that includes working on my master's so it was <laughs> incredible um and we read lots of different things <laughs> um and one of them was uh, was it the power of writing by peter elbow i think that was great it included so many strategies that i was able to actually take and they were, they were it was written for adults and I was able nice. to apply that to like I'm my writing. I wrote down the title. Got it. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's called, is it called The Power of Writing? I think that's what it was called. So that one was really good. Um, I have, let's see, another one that I really loved was uh, Katie Wood Ray. It was about preschool writing. It was called Already Ready. That was a great book for preschool writing specific. It's not about like spelling and handwriting, not that part of writing. It's about the ideas, the creating books, that kind of thing that I loved. And I actually used some of those strategies with my own daughter and she has enjoyed it. It's just about making books. That's what you, and I remember I saw Katie would Ray speak years ago and she just was like, yeah, that's what we do. We make books. We're making books. And nice. um, yeah, that was a really neat, that was a really great read that I have actually seen work when it happens, you know, when you use it, it works. Um, I'm sure I'm thinking of another title. Uh, it, it'll just pop into my brain probably in a few minutes, but <laughs> right now nothing's popping. Um, <laughs> for coaches, I really have enjoyed Diane Sweeney's books. So Diane Sweeney, uh, her big thing is student-centered coaching. And so what okay. I like about it is it's like, okay, this is what the kids are doing. How are we going to respond to this as a coach? Like whenever you're working with a teacher. And so instead of focusing on this is what you're doing, it says this is what the kids are doing. So what do we need to do to, to, to grow that or to change that? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, it kind of <laughs> takes off some of the pressure from the teacher. It's still obviously they're the ones doing the things that the kids are responding to. Right. But it's focused on the impact on kids. And that's what teaching is supposed to be. Um, yes. So I love that. And I like that. She, there's the one book student. I've talked, I talk about this book all the time. Student centered coaching, the moves. And okay. that's where she spells out, do this, do this, do this. Like she just tells you what to do, which is awesome um, because so many books don't just tell you what to do. You know what I right. mean? Um, it's all kind of like abstract. 
And they actually sent me one recently. Let me pull it out. Because I started getting into it, but I haven't finished. Okay. They sent me the essential guide for student-centered coaching, what every K-12 coach and school leader needs to know. And it's by Diane Sweeney and Leanna S. Harris. I really liked it. Um, the parts that I've read nice. have been really good. It's like, it's like logical things that you do as a school to make coaching happen. So that's a good one that I've, I've enjoyed seeing. Student-centered teaching. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, student-centered coaching. What every K-12 coach oh, so and leader needs to know. Okay. Oh, there it is. Got it. Okay, nice. Writing with power. Techniques for mastering the writing process. And that's for, like, adult writers. Peter you know, Elbow. Yes, Peter Elbow. And then Ralph Fletcher. I loved his book. Oh, that's another one for teachers. I, all my favorite books are about writing. <laughs> so <far. laughs> Nice. <laughs> I love it. Um, Ralph Fletcher has a book about how to write a memoir. It might even be called How to Write a Memoir. And huh. I really liked it because he taught, he, he gives a strategy for the neighborhood map about how you yeah. draw a map of your neighborhood when you're a kid and you plug in all the different um, like memories that you have and those are ideas for writing. So I really love that because it's about like generating ideas for writing. You know, it's not about the grammar and stuff. It's just about that, that part of writing, which I love. Um, nice. and how to decide what goes in your memoir and stuff. That was really cool. Oh, and that's very cool. Yes. And then Patterns of Power by Jeff Anderson is about the grammar end. So I totally believe in using mentor sentences as an instructional method for grammar and, and spelling and all that stuff. So I would take a mentor sentence and pull from there to teach all those skills, and then I could cover, I, I mean, it was, it really matches how the brain works, how it learns these patterns, and then you can help kids apply them in their own writing. And so Patterns of Power or anything by Jeff Anderson is really good. I, th I am going to be reading all of these because I feel like that's where, that's the area that my students struggle with the most is writing. It is in general, usually. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is it's, it's a creation. Writing is you're creating something. You're not just responding to something. You're building something. And also teachers often are the least comfortable teaching it. Yeah. And I think I that's because, yeah, I think that's because we do it. The, teachers do it the least. Many teachers read. Teachers use math to balance their budget and go to the grocery store and all this stuff. I know that's very basic, but at basic levels, many that that's pretty much what we're teaching in, in many cases is pretty basic, you know, levels of these things. But how many teachers are sitting and writing for enjoyment? Not as many. There are some that do, many that don't. True. And very I've had true. Lots of, yeah, I've had lots of conversations with teachers who have told me, no, I don't, I don't like to write. But if they said, I don't like to read, that has a little more of a stigma to it. But if they say, I don't like to write, that's a little less, you know. Like nobody's embarrassed. Right. Not that they should be embarrassed, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. So, so um, yeah, that's that's been my experience with that. Writing is something that people are the least comfortable with, which is why they tend to turn to really scripted programs because it is so much. Writing involves build, like you're creating vocab, you're building vocabulary, you're building sentence structure, you're building grammar, you're building um, the structure of a piece, you're building about audience and intent and purpose and topics and ideas and spelling. And it's so many moving parts and it's all that kids have to put it all out there in the world to have meaning to, or for it to have meaning and for it to make sense to somebody else. And that's a lot to expect. 
yeah I'm really good at so. <laughs> but it's also yep. my favorite thing to teach I love teaching everything but I really love teaching writing maybe because they can go so far you know yeah as a limit so. I love that um and thank you for all the book tips yeah <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> some of my favorite personal books um I'm kind of all over the place like right now I'm reading The Godfather <laughs> oh okay uh, you know I really have That's one it. I have not read. I had never read it either. And it was on my stack. It was just like in a pile of books that I had forever. Yeah. And then I was going to read that one that you had recommended to me, the parable of the talent. And then, well, yes. like, no, but I want the other one first, which I forget what it's called, but I bought it already. It's ready to go. Um, yeah. And so I was like, I want to read the other one first, but I don't have it yet. So what else could I read? And the Godfather was just sitting right in the top of my stack. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do it. Um, it made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So <laughs> <laughs> how far into it are you? Almost 300 pages in. So it's okay. You know, it's, I vaguely remember bits of the movie. Um, I mean, vaguely. The book is jogging my memory of bits of the movie, you know, okay. that it's been years since I saw it. And that's, you know, I have diverse tastes. But one book that we've always talked about is The Hiding Place by Corey Tendum. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that one was very meaningful to both of us. It's, it's a Christian book, but the idea is the, the topic of the book is that um, Corey and her sister were in a concentration camp during world war II because they were yes. hiding um, Jews in their home. And, you know, everybody was found, everyone was sent to a camp and uh, it was, it was about how her faith helped her. Well, and how her faith was shaped as well. By her experiences and how her faith helped her look at her experiences in a certain way. Um, and they were terrible things, obviously, we, you know, we all yes. know, um, but it was uh, just really, I guess, poignant. It just stuck to me. A lot of those events did. And I know mm -hmm. you do. Same here. Same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that one's a, that's a book that I, well, I was also obsessed with um, World War II literature for a long time. Yes. And we both were. Yeah. Still am. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So that was interesting. Um, you know, for a while there, I was really, I couldn't stop reading Jane Eyre. <laughs> I don't know why. Um, it was a book that I had picked up in middle school and I started it and I didn't finish it. And, um, and I remember distinctly because, so the, this was back before people had like reading programs and stuff, but our uh -huh. teacher had actually, she had just read so many books. She made tests for all these books and then you had to read a book every you know, however often and take a test on it. And I was big on like, like romantic era literature at the time. <laughs> and so, and I, I was for years. And so I pulled out Jane Eyre and I started reading it, but I didn't get very far in it before time was up. It's a lengthy, dense book, you know, yeah. when I was in eighth grade. And I remember my mom telling me her, her this is her stellar advice on how to, I should have <laughs> known it was not going to be good. It was like two days before I had to finish the book and there was no way that was happening. Even though I read all the time, it just wasn't going to happen. And she told me, just read the first sentence and the last sentence out of every chapter. Because that's all you have time to do. <laughs> so I did, which did me no good at all. And my teacher's <laughs> name was Mrs. Elliot. And there's a part in the book where Jane changes her name to Jane Elliot because she goes in hiding. Oh. And so the, one of the answer choices, it was like, the question was, what does Jane change her name to? Whenever she goes, she runs away. And I thought yeah. Jane Elliot was for sure wrong because I thought she just put her name in there. 
to be cute. <laughs> yeah. I remember I got that question wrong. In eighth grade. This is how badly this stuck to me. This horrible mistake of not finishing my book. Okay. I'm not. That's, that's <laughs> how very dare you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah kid. Um, the Poisonwood Bible is an, I know this sounds like um, a lot of Christian and Catholic stuff, but this is not the voice. It's just kind of coming up. <laughs> the, um, the Poisonwood Bible is a book about a missionary family. It's by, um, Oh, fudge. What's her name? Uh, she's written lots of other. Oh uh, um, yeah. Books. I just saw a book by her yesterday King, in the same bookstore. Barbara Kingsolver. Yes. Yes. And I read several of her other books, but nothing else hit like the Poisonwood Bible. I read it in college and it's about this missionary family and the, the father who is like willing really to sacrifice everything for what he believes God wants him to do, which is very interesting. You don't have to be, this is not like a Christian book. You don't have to be Christian to read the book. It's just an amazing story. And the mother, you know, the, and three uh, daughters, they go to, I can't remember which country in Africa. And um, it's a time of turmoil there. And they're there for, you know, I don't know, like over a year and just all kinds of unbelievable and crazy things happen um, because the father is so determined that it's, it's white saviorism. Really. He goes into this country thinking I'm going to fix these people. Right. Which is mm-hmm. often does happen. Yeah. And they, the people are like, look, this is, we, we know how things work. Like we've got a life here. We've looked, our, our families have lived here for, you know, years and you, you can't come in and show us how things work. He like one of the scenes that's really memorable is he wants to baptize people in the river. And they're like, you cannot do that. There are, there are alligators in the river, but he, they're terrified uh, of the river. Yeah. But he wants to, he insists that he wants to do, he will not listen that he's like, well, but God will protect me. So it's just a, it's really interesting. And it really like the older I get, I've read it several times throughout my life. And I, I see different things in it every time because there's so much in it. So that's a really great book by Barbara King- Kingsolver, the Poisonwood Bible. Yeah. Um, and then recently a book that I read that I really loved was the vanishing half. Um, I read that one too. We both read that one. That was a really yeah. good book. So I'm waiting for that movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. I saw that. Yeah, that should be really good. Um, so that yeah. was very interesting. Um, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with like Little Women and Alice in Wonderland and all those kinds of books. And I still have all those and pull them out every now and then. But uh, <laughs> my tastes have definitely grown <laughs> over time. Yes. All right. One last question I have for you. Okay. Who has influenced you the most as an educator? I don't know that I have a the most, um, but I think, you know, whenever I, I mentioned earlier, the West Texas writing project, that experience probably influenced me. I mean, significantly um, as I was, I was, I've been teaching already for, I don't know, maybe five, six years, something like that. And maybe a little less. And I feel like that experience gave me so much to think about and go back and apply. You know, we used the inquiry model. We were learning about different things and, and it kind of, it kind of reframed the way that I taught writing. Cause my district was really pushing right from the beginning, which was a very scripted program. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm not, I've never been a fan of following any program hundred percent. I don't think they always, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not best teaching. It's just not. Yeah. There's and, always um, something left to be desired. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> 
And teachers should be reflective practitioners who can look at things and say, this is not working. This could be different, you know? So um, I think that that experience reframed the way that I looked at teaching, not only writing, but everything. And um, it was very, it was just very memorable. But we wrote a, you know, like a 12 page paper. It was over the summer. It was a few weeks long. It was an amazing program. And um, the director of that program at the time was Dr. Jonna Perillo. And she's a, a professor at University of Texas at El Paso, where I graduated from. And she was very impactful um, on, I mean, I still think she's one of the most brilliant people I know. So that was really, I learned a lot. And so I guess the person who told me to go sign up for that program was my principal at the time, uh, Robert Martinez. And he came into my room and I remember I was wearing a, a t-shirt. It was Friday. So I had jeans on it was <laughs> and I had my t-shirt with a rocket on it that said science is awesome. And um, I remember I had these pink flam- or these flamingo patterned um, vans that I used to wear. Like, I wish I could wear <laughs> nice. that outfit now. It's super comfy. Um, and we were all doing cool stuff on our Chromebooks at the time. Or it wasn't Chromebooks. It was uh, the cow, like the computer on wheels with the little mess. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we were all doing some cool science thing that I had like a web quest, I think I set up. And I remember him holding up a little sign. It was a little application. And he said, you need to do this. And he brought it to me and I don't think he gave it to anybody else. And I remember reading it thinking, okay, I do need to do that. And then I had to apply and it was this whole process. So I guess he maybe was um, (laughs) influential because he, I didn't even know that was a thing until he showed me. Uh, It's the local branch of the National Writing Project. So, I mean, it's not just writing, that's their name, but it's so much more than that. We write to learn and to think. So that helps you teach anything. And um I mean, really, I think, you know, my coworkers have been very influential, you know, everybody that I work with, because you learn so much through working with each other. You learn so much from seeing each other interact. I even small things, you know, my coworker, Martha, I remember she's the one who taught me not to leave my desk such a mess. (laughs) (laughs) I just was like, wow, your room is always so tidy and your desk is always so neat. And she said, well, just before you leave, the last thing before you leave, five minutes, straighten your desk every day. And I was like, well, that sounds doable, I guess. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I started doing that. Um, but just little, you just I feel like you as an educator, it's, it, you can have a mentor and that's great, you know, or a coach that really is supportive um, mm-hmm. or an administrator. But really, your teaching changes all the time. Yeah. So it, you're really just this it's just like you as a human being, you're just the sum of all of these experiences and thoughts and and attempts to figure things out. And I feel like teaching is the same. Absolutely. I love that you mentioned coworkers because it's that whole collaborative process and feeling like you're in it together is so important. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Especially right now, I'm sure. (laughs) It's helpful to know that you're not, you're not like losing your mind, but things really are the way they are. Yeah. Oh, I'm losing my mind, but at least I'm not alone. True. <laughs> <laughs> We're going off the cliff together, so that's nice. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> we were talking about how before this episode started, we were saying it was going to sound like an episode of um, the delicious. <laughs> the delicious dish. <laughs> doesn't get that reference you should really look it up on youtube <laughs> look up the delicious dish yes. have a laugh yeah it's great well 
I think you said that was the last question, right? <laughs> that was. And I think you should end all of your podcasts from now on with, all right, everybody, just shut up. <laughs> I usually say happy coaching, but I don't think that's informative enough. <laughs> I don't know if that leaves you with a tidbit you can take with you in your pocket. <laughs> I, I, I like happy coaching. I, I love it. <laughs> it's more positive. It is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think I will. I think I will though. And this one with that, with that quote, cause I like it. Um, so thank you so much, Laura, for being here today and doing this. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was really nice to talk to you and I loved your questions. They were super good. Oh, thanks. It was awesome to be with you. I miss you. I know. I miss you too. Darn country. So big. <laughs> I know. Uh, well, you're the best. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Thank you. You are too. Well, coaches, I have uh, something that you can grab today. I talked about, um, you know, ways to talk to teachers who are maybe not that excited and talking to you. So there is, of course, the coaching resistant teachers email course. You can grab that for free if you go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 100. Um, you can sign up there for the coaching resistant teachers, uh, five days plus one challenge, and you will get emails sent right to your inbox that tell you how to reshape the relationship that you're having with a teacher who is maybe not responding to your charms. <laughs> um, and from there, um, you can check that out. You can grab the 40 hour work week, of course, from Angela Watson, or you can sign up for the teacher care crate there as well uh, from the designer teacher. So check those out, those links out. They're really great. Next episode is 101 and I'm going to shift gears there. We're going to talk about looking back all through the month of May. So we're going to look at reflecting on our own work and helping teachers reflect on their practice. I'm going to kick off the series with an episode about kind of a tough topic, which is how to break a negative coaching pattern. So you can join me next week for an honest conversation about how this really happens and what we can do about it. And until then, just shut up. <laughs> Not really. Until then, happy coaching. <laughs>